Now, if you could open up to your, uh, in your, in your uh, Bibles to the, the book of Ruth. Uh, that is in the Old Testament, uh, somewhere in, uh, near the front third or so. You see uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, and then after Judges you have Ruth. And if you see 1 Samuel or 2 Samuel, you've gone too far. And just need to go back a book or so. But if you see the book of Judges, you'll run into to Ruth fairly quickly. We'll be reading out of the English Standard Version here together in just a moment. Uh, we're making our way through Ruth. Um, this, uh, this message today will finish out chapter 3. And then for the next three weeks, we'll be looking at chapter 4, uh, just in time for Advent. And so uh, looking forward to, uh, to the days ahead, especially in this next chapter that we're going to get to here in the next couple weeks. So... Um, we started sort of a new tradition with this, uh, with this book, and so, uh, and that is that we read the scripture together. If you have the English Standard Version in front of you, you can certainly read along uh, out loud through that. We're going to be in Ruth chapter 3, starting in verse 6, and if you don't have uh, that in front of you, the words will be up here on the screen, and so let's, uh, let's read together. Ruth chapter 3, starting in verse 6, go. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that we can have access to it. We thank you that you have revealed yourself and your character uh, through this. 
And so, Father, I pray that it is this morning that we would know you better, that we would uh, also not just know you better, that we would live more faithfully for you. And so, Father, would you help us to, to know and to employ what biblical faith means this morning, Lord, and it's in, it's in your Son's name that I ask all of these things. Amen. Well, over the last uh, century or so, uh, science, technology, and, and research has made huge advances in our society. From medical technology to uh, crime prevention, we've been able to uh, not only save lives, but we've also been able to save vast amounts of money. However, in, in all of our technology, in all of our resources, in all of our sciences, in all of our research, um, the one thing that we have not uh, been able to do yet is to reduce the frequency and the damages of hurricanes. Since 1900, more than 1.3 million people throughout the world have died as a result of hurricanes. And the damage that has been done since that time estimates about to an average of $10 billion a year. And uh, that is changing exponentially. It's getting a lot, uh, a lot more. For example, with Hurricane Irma and with Hurricane uh, Harvey, we don't have concrete data yet because things are still being assessed. But as far as the, um, uh, between 2004 and 2005, six hurricanes, including Katrina, did a combined $153 billion in damage. Uh, to the southeastern part of the United States. And so from the mid-1960s through the uh, mid-1990s, hurricane activity was relatively minor uh, because of something called the Atlantic Multidecatal Oscillation, which is a, it's a cycle in the Atlantic Ocean uh, that gradually cools and, and warms up. And um, it's not a huge variance of temperature, it's really only just a, a couple of degrees, but it can make a huge difference. For cooler water, it can mean a quiet hurricane season. And if it's just a couple degrees warmer, it can be somewhat of a tumultuous, violent hurricane season like we have seen uh, over the last decade. Well, uh, authors Stephen Levitt, Levitt and Stephen Dubner, uh, they argue in their book, Super Freakonomics, it's kind of a cool uh, title of a book, uh, that with what we know about hurricanes, we should at least be able to protect ourselves from this kind of damage and, and these, kind of, uh, these kind of troubles. They, they write, unlike other problems, cancer for instance, their cause is well established, their location predictable, and even their timing is known. Atlantic hurricanes generally strike between August 15th and November 15th. They travel westward through Hurricane Alley, a horizontal stretch uh, through the Atlantic Ocean running from the west coast of Africa through the Caribbean into the southeastern United States. And they are essentially heat engines, massive storms created when the topmost layer of the ocean water uh, edges above a certain temperature, which is about 80 degrees Fahrenheit. That's why, that's why they start forming only towards the end of the summer, because the sun throughout the summer is able to, uh, to get the, the water a little bit warmer. And yet, for all their predictability, hurricanes represent a battle that humans seem to have lost. By the time a hurricane forms, there's really no way to fight it. All you can do is run away. 
Well, we've been going through the book of Ruth since, uh, since September. And uh, throughout the book, we've been talking about what it looks like and how to move from tragedy through the, the hurricanes of life. How to move from tragedy and despair to faithful and flourishing. And two weeks ago when we last touched on the book, we, we started a first part of a message that was concerned about what do you do when life seems to have a little bit of a breakthrough for you. You can start seeing the clearing. You can start seeing the sky starting to lighten up just a, a, a little bit. Uh, for Ruth and Naomi, the breakthrough started to be able to be seen when Ruth stepped out into faith into the fields of Bethlehem, being sovereignly led by God into the fields of a man named Boaz. And this Boaz is a relative of Naomi, uh, Ruth's mother-in-law. It's a relative of her deceased husband. Um, and he completely turns around their world by not only letting Ruth take the scraps from the harvest that have been dropped on the field or the things that he left for her, but he also allows her to be positioned among those on his harvest crew so that she can take more than she ever anticipated back home to survive. And further, he just doesn't position her for success on the fields, but he also welcomes her and gives her a place at his table where she is protected, where she is provided for and cared for. For a, a woman, a foreign woman in Israel, Boaz's generosity to Ruth is completely unheard of. And it provides the breakthrough that Naomi and Ruth have been desperately looking for in the hurricane of their, their life. This is a, a breakthrough that shatters the, the depressed heart of Naomi. She's been, uh, she's been living in, in complete bitterness and, and, uh, and depression, and she snaps out of her spiritual stupor. And in chapter 3, we see that Naomi stops living for herself and actually becomes Ruth's mother rather than her mother-in-law. She reflects on the kindness that Ruth has shown to her even when she has been ugly towards Ruth. And she recognizes that what Ruth needs more than anything is not to live out the days under the roof of her mother-in-law, but rather what Ruth desperately needs is that she needs to be under the rest and the care of a husband. So two weeks ago, we talked about how Naomi came up with this well, I guess for lack of a better word, this plan in order to arrange this marriage between Ruth and Boaz. And the plan, quite honestly, uh, was, well, sketchy. Uh, in fact, so sketchy that it leaves the door open for the potential of a terrible act of sexual immorality. And in her sincerity, uh, she is warming the waters a few degrees to make the, the conditions just right, to have terrible implications on not only her life, not only Boaz's life, and not only Ruth's future, but the future of all of us, which we're going to see here in a few weeks. And perhaps you're at a place where you uh, have 
uh, you, you, you're going through the clouds, you're seeing the darkness of life, and maybe you're starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel, and you're in a tough season, tough breaks, whatever it is, but you're on the cusp of seeing God move in great ways in your life, but yet the waters of your life are still warm. There's still potential for disaster, and the threat seems imminent. How do you proceed uh, with a breakthrough when the threat of danger is still possible? You employ biblical faith and confidence in God. Now, what does that look like? Uh, well, I started out this message with, uh, well, actually, eight ways uh, to employ biblical faith, but for sake of time, I've, I've lowered down to five, uh, five of the most important ones of uh, how to walk through a spiritual breakthrough. And the first one is, is that we must live in integrity. You must live in integrity. Integrity means always doing the right thing, even when no one else is looking, and even if it costs you something. And the more that I've, I've pondered Naomi's plan and what she had for Ruth here over the last couple of weeks, I've been able to stew over it. And the more I think about it, the more I just really don't like it. I'm really bothered by her plan because whether or not she was well-intentioned, um, she places Ruth in a very dangerous position. Now, I'd be willing to bet that those of you that have daughters would never tell your daughter that a way to secure a husband in college would be to sneak into his dorm room at night, open up his covers, lie down next to him, and do whatever he tells you to do. But that is exactly what, Ruth, what Naomi tells Ruth to do here. It's here that we must understand that though the Bible is always descriptive, it's not always prescriptive. It is filled with historical facts. It recounts stories of God's people, many times of which uh, were in the midst of incredible failure. And sometimes the situations that are described are never meant by God to emulate. And this here is one of them. Now, even though the plan was scandalous, uh, notice how the moral character of Ruth and Boaz completely shine and come to the surface here. Ruth, she goes to the threshing floor. She's bathed. She's perfumed up, she smells good, she looks good, she comes, she uncovers uh, his legs and she lies down, Boaz wakes up, he notices, there's a woman at my feet, and he's startled, as any man would probably be after a night of drinking and, and eating find some woman he has no idea sleeping next to him and it's completely dark Boaz and Ruth they could get away with whatever they want here Ruth can go home and not tell Naomi a thing that happens Boaz doesn't have to be a kiss and tell 
Ruth reveals herself to Boaz, and instead of taking advantage of the moment, what happens? Absolutely nothing. Nothing improper, that is. Uh, whereas things could have totally gone off the rails, Boaz and Ruth show incredible integrity in the face of an extremely compromising position. Now, here's the thing. Spiritual breakthroughs almost never happen when things are going really good. Spiritual breakthroughs usually never happen when you feel like things are going well. They typically happen during times of crisis. And crisis can happen in, in many different ways. It can come in the form of, of health scares. It can come in the form of relational distress. Someone's hurt you. Someone's betrayed you. Someone's done something that, that deeply scars you and, and, and wounds you. And it's a violation of you. Crisis can also come in the form of just general stress. There's a lot of pressure at work. There's a lot of pressure at home. There's pressure here and there's pressure there. For Ruth and Boaz, their crisis came in the form of a temptation. And by not succumbing to the temptation, by, by living in integrity here, by doing what's right in a compromising situation, they are opening a huge door to a major spiritual breakthrough in, in their lives. And so whatever you're facing today, we need to live in integrity. Maybe it's a temptation that you need to fight with all might that you have. High schoolers and junior hires, maybe you're in college, you are going to feel pressure to engage in this sort of activity. For the sake of Christ, resolve right now to do what is right. Because if you don't resolve right now to live in integrity, when that time comes, it's going to be much easier to compromise. Don't rob your, yourself of God's best by living on demand right now. Live in integrity. Second thing, practice spiritual boldness. Practice spiritual boldness. Ruth's character is one of strength and complete boldness. In fact, in, in the Hebrew Bible, around Jesus' time, the book of Ruth was not placed after the book of Judges. The book of Ruth was actually placed after the book of Proverbs. And if you're a student of the Bible and you've read Proverbs before, you know how Proverbs 31 ends. It describes the ideal biblical woman. And so the, Hebrew, the Hebrews knew what they were doing when they put Ruth right after the book of Proverbs. Because here you see a woman that completely fulfills everything that the writer of Proverbs is talking about of a woman of virtue. And that is exactly what, uh, what, what Ruth is. Ruth is an example of that. And she's in a precarious position here. But she has absolutely no plans to compromise her purity. She's been instructed by Naomi on what to do and what to say. But in verse 9, she goes totally rogue. She goes totally off script. 
Naomi said simply, uncover him, lie down, he'll tell you what to do. (laughs) But here's what Ruth does. She lies down and she tells Boaz what to do. Look at verse 9. Who are you? She answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. So instead of waiting for Boaz to take action, Ruth starts the charge here. Now, just as a way of review, remember in the last few weeks, we've been talking about what a redeemer is, a kinsman redeemer. Uh, If there was a male who died in Israel, a close relative, usually a brother or a cousin, would purchase the property of the deceased and would take on a childless widow upon themselves to uh, have the property still be in the name of the deceased and to raise up children on behalf of the man who was deceased. And Boaz here is somehow linked to Naomi's deceased husband, Elimelech, making him in line to be what's called a redeemer for Ruth and Naomi. Now, what Ruth does here is completely contrary to anything that's normal. She doesn't wait for Boaz to to get a hint. She doesn't wait for Boaz to get the picture. She, there's no question here, she is proposing marriage to Boaz. She does this in a very cryptic way. She asks Boaz to spread his wings over his servant. Now, this statement would have made complete sense to Boaz because it's the exact same thing that he told her that she did with God back in chapter 2. Let's look in chapter 2, verse 12. Um, She forsook the God uh, Hamash of the Moabites for Yahweh, the true God, and he said, the Lord repay you for what you've done and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So in essence, what Ruth is telling Boaz here is, you know I love your God. I left everything to follow your God. And I want you, Boaz, to be the representation of that God in my life. I want to come under your protection as I have come under God's. I want you to be like Israel. I want to be like uh, like Israel, the bride of God, and I want you to be that groom. She wasn't idolizing him. She's simply calling Boaz to be the husband that every husband ought to be, to represent Christ as head of the family. Think about the image that she uses here. Jesus uses that image back in Matthew chapter 23 when he looks over Israel and he says, how I would have gathered you together as a hen does her chicks, but they won't. It's an image of an eagle in a nest spreading their wings over their eaglets in protection. Ruth took a bold step here. And I don't know what's going on in your situation. But some of you know 
that you need to step out in bold faith. Maybe the Lord is calling you to something, but maybe out of fear or anxiety or laziness or, or lack of clarity, it's holding you back. Maybe for some of you it is talking to a coworker about Jesus. Maybe it is confronting a friend or a relative about unrepentant sin in their life. Maybe it is moving your family in a completely different direction than you've been going. Maybe God is calling you to something that you never ex ever expected and you're a bit nervous and you're a bit timid to put one foot in front of the other. Well, when you have those inklings, the solution is not to turn down the temperature of the water to avoid potential storms or to avoid something. It is stepping out in faith and walking directly into the unknown. It's okay to be nervous. It's okay to have tension. We'll talk about that here in a moment. But it is critical that we step out in bold faith to see spiritual breakthroughs in our lives. So we need to step, uh, practice spiritual boldness, but we also need to be ready and willing to lose. Be ready and willing to lose. And you could probably put the word fail after that as well. You know, even a, a, a cursory reading of this passage would lead anyone to believe that Boaz here is totally smitten by Ruth. He looks at her like she hung the moon. But there's a little detour here that changes the trajectory of what Ruth wants. Look with me in verse 12. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. This is Boaz speaking. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning if he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if he's not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. This shows enormous character on the part of Boaz. Here's a guy, from all indications, wants this to happen with Ruth. But he is willing to put aside his desires. He is willing to lose this desire in order to do what's right. How many of us are willing just to gloss over things so that we can get what we want? We live in such an entitled culture that we are willing to step over anything and step on anyone to get what we want. But biblical faith holds everything with an open hand. Look at the example of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here is a man that had the riches of heaven, yet gave it up. Here is a man who lost everything in life, his friends, 
his reputation, even his own life. If we as Christians lived more like Jesus, we wouldn't hold so closely to our perceived rights or hold so tightly to always needing to be correct. Far too often, we're content with being right than being redemptive with anyone that disagrees with us. Even if we are right, it is okay to lose. It is okay to take some hits and concede. If we want to see spiritual breakthroughs, we have to be willing to lose. And fourthly, we need to be open and honest. We need to be open and honest. In the wee hours of the morning, Boaz and Ruth, they, they wake up here. Again, Boaz shows his protection of Ruth by trying to get her out at first light so that no one sees her running out there and they get the wrong idea. But before she leaves, verse 15 tells us this. It says, and he said, bring the garment that you're wearing and hold it out. So basically get your jacket, get your cloak. And so she held it out and he measured six barleys, six measures of barley and put it on her. And then she went into the city. Um, folks, as a side note, uh, six measures of barley is the equivalent of 80 pounds. He's taking care of his woman here. 80 pounds of barley. And I love what, 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 uh, what Ian Dugweed says in his commentary on Ruth. <laughs> he says, obviously, Ruth is no frail waif of a creature. <laughs> if she could pick up 80 pounds of grain and carry it on her back from the threshing floor into the city, then clearly she was a woman of substance indeed. A big, strong girl. This is Ruth. So she goes back home. And you can almost see the picture of Naomi. The concerned mother figure that is waiting anxiously, but she doesn't want to overstep her boundaries and ask too many questions about what happens. So verse 16, it says, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? By the way, the literal translation is, who are you, my daughter? She comes back with 80 pounds of, of, of grain here. Of course, the question, well, who are you? Because Ruth is just this intriguing woman. Then Ruth told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Now understand the importance of the words here. She told her all that the man had done. One characteristic of Ruth here is that she's completely unafraid to um, be open and honest and disclose everything that happened. When Ruth left Naomi for the night, Naomi had no idea what would happen. And quite a bit. 
could have happened. Yet when Ruth is held to account, she doesn't hold anything back. One measure, one measurable way to determine whether or not you're willing to push through a spiritual barrier and go through a breakthrough is by your willingness to be open and honest about everything that you are doing. If a close friend of yours came up to you right now and asked you, how is your struggle with fill in the blank, internet pornography going? How have you been using the computer? How are you handling your finances? How are you behaving with the person you are dating? How is your struggle with anger going? Are you first willing to be completely open and honest with that friend? And second, are you in a spot where you can at least say things are going and moving forward? I'm seeing breakthroughs come. I'm fighting sin. I'm fighting temptation. Are you avoiding circumstances? Are you waging war on your vices? A good rule of thumb is to resolve to never do anything that you can't go directly to your spouse or your mother and tell them what you're doing. God knows everything. Nothing is hidden from him. But Ruth is on the cutting edge of a breakthrough because she's completely open and honest about what's going on. Are you? And fifth, we need to rest in hopeful tension. Rest in hopeful tension. Tension. Uh, you know, a major hurdle uh, to jump through in breakthroughs is actually hope. And you think, well, how does hope actually a hurdle? It's a hurdle because, again, breakthroughs don't come without a little bit of uncertainty. Boaz said that he would sort things out. And if it didn't go the way they desired, Boaz would concede. There's a lot of uncertainty there. And further, Naomi in verse 18 says, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest until he settles the, he will settle the matter today. Really, the matter could have been settled in one way or another. Up to this point, quite honestly, Ruth has been steering the ship. Naomi has been crippled with depression and bitterness. And even though Ruth has, has clearly been leaning on the sovereignty of God, she has been going out to the fields. She has been playing a part. She has been doing the hard work. But now, they are completely left to the mercy of God. 
In fact, their fate is being sealed while they are conversing in the kitchen here. It is the morning. Boaz is at the city gate, which we'll see uh, coming up here, taking care of business. And all that Ruth and Naomi can do is sit in the waiting room and wait for the results. It's worth saying again, breakthroughs don't usually come without suspense. They don't come without tension. They don't come without a risk of danger. They don't come when things are quiet and easy. Spiritual breakthroughs come when you act in faith and you wait because you have absolutely no clue what's going to happen. You have no way of figuring out what is the end of this story going to be. But you continue to wait. You continue to trust. You continue to hope in that tension. And that is often hard because our default, when things seem a little shaky, when things seem a little uncertain, uh, when things seem ambiguous, is to have anxiety. Maybe complaining. Maybe irritability. Maybe overthinking the situation. And maybe scheming. But Ruth here, she rests in hopeful tension that Boaz will do what is necessary to make her his bride. And we must be hopeful in tension as well. But in our rest... In our situations, in our heartbreaks, in our setbacks that we face, we aren't waiting for a Redeemer to do something. Our kinsman Redeemer, Jesus Christ, has already done everything necessary to make us His through His perfect life through his death that we deserved and his resurrection, he has already gone to the gate and claimed you and me as his own. And now we, like Ruth and Boaz, we sit in the waiting room waiting for the day that he comes back to officially make us his. That he comes back to make all things right. But as we wait, we wait in hopeful tension. You know, in, in Seattle, there's a physicist named Nathan. He, his physics background helps him to understand the thermal properties that define a hurricane. And because of that, he and some of his uh, colleagues believe that they are coming up with a solution. And they know that once a hurricane has begun to build up energy, there's no off switch. It has to run its, its course. And they know that they could never build a fan big enough to blow the hurricane back out into the ocean. So Nathan and his colleagues believe that the solution is in preventing 
the water from having the chance to accumulate the temperature that is necessary in order to produce uh, the kind of thermal energy needed to become a hurricane. In other words, he wants to prevent the Atlantic Ocean in that region from getting warm enough to ever form a hurricane in the first place. He wants to practice something called a chilled ocean uh, policy to keep the potential of hurricanes from ever having a chance to destroy property and life. Perhaps you're looking on the horizon of your life and you see the dark storm clouds off in the distance. Maybe you're in the middle of the storm right now. If so, the solution is not to chill the waters and just cool things down. It is not to look for sunny skies. And it is not to run away or to avoid. The solution is to look to the Redeemer, is to look to Jesus Christ, the solution is to place ourselves under his wings and place our full confidence in him. And when we do that, the breakthrough that we need spirit to spiritually thrive is not in a bright cloudless day. It's found in the storms and in the hurricanes of life. Because in those storms is where the Redeemer does his best work. And biblical faith can thrive. So the question from the last two messages in this is what kind of faith are you going to employ? Is it going to be the sketchy faith that Naomi desired to have? Or will it be the biblical faith exemplified by Boaz and Ruth. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, your word is good, it's true. There's so much stuff in this word, Lord, that we could have covered, we could have covered more, Lord, but Lord, there's enough here to chew on for quite a while. And Father, there's nobody that's perfect here. That's exactly why Jesus came to redeem us from the curse of sin. But Father, I pray that in your mercy, in your grace, that you would help us here who are weak in these areas, which are all of us, to employ biblical faith. Would you help us to live in integrity? Would you help us, Lord, to be willing to risk and willing to lose? And Father, I pray that if there's no one here that has ever put faith in Jesus Christ, God, I pray that you would help their heart lean towards him today and that today they would say, Lord Jesus Christ, I, I don't want to live the way that I've been living. I've been doing things. I've been thinking things. I've been, I've been saying things, Lord, that, that I'm just not down with. And so, Father, I want to ask Jesus to come and to change me and make me new. And I want to live by faith, not by sight, not by anything else. I want to throw everything on Jesus. Help us to remember, God, 
that we must bear our cross before we get the crown. And when we go from this place to love and to serve you, not in sketchy faith, but in biblical faith. And it's in Jesus' name that I ask this. Amen. On the first Sunday of every month, we come together as a family of God, and we come to celebrate what Jesus has done on our behalf. We come to him to remember that he died on our behalf and that he was raised on our behalf. On the night that Jesus was uh, betrayed, he had a supper with his friends, and he took bread, he broke it, and said, this is how I want you to remember me, breaking myself on your behalf. He took wine, we have grape juice here, and poured it out, and they drank together and said, this is representative of the blood that I'm going to shed for you. And so we come together as a family of God to remember Jesus in this tangible way. The crackers that are here, they're, they're brittle, they're crumbly, represents what Jesus has done, broken his body on our behalf. The juice, Christ's blood, there's nothing magic here. It doesn't turn into the body and blood of Jesus Christ. We're just remembering what he's done.